Do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about um, how we're reversing the roles today? Yeah, yeah, I reckon. So, what's happening today is that I'm not getting interviewed. I am the interviewer because I'm super, super interested in who this David Gary Wood person actually is. Because like we've been we've been hearing about all these all these superhero origin stories of the guests on this podcast, but I have I have questions about your origin story, David. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the questions today, and I hope you tell me where where this journey started for you. Cool. Yeah, I'm down with that. Awesome. Um, you probably don't need to introduce yourself to the um, audience, but do so anyway. Okay, so I'm David Gary Woods. I'm going to be 39 in the next month, so I'm very near to 40. Um, uh-oh. Good age, good age. Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad, actually. Old enough to know better, I think, is uh, <laughs> part of it. Um, yeah, Have you no. started getting the the little the little things that are just slightly wrong or off with your body yet? Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, Those are the only things that really annoy me about like, getting older. Why do I ache? Why do I ache today when right. I get up for it? That's that whole sort of getting older thing. No, and um, a few grey hairs and all of that. That's just part right. of it. Um, but no, I, I live in New Zealand. I've been living here for nearly four years. Previously, as you may be able to tell, I'm from the UK. Um, so I moved over here from the UK in 2017. Um, I'm here with my wife. We've got two kids. Uh, my eldest is is 15, um, which quite often surprises people because although, yeah, I'm nearly 40, people don't expect me to have a 15-year-old a for some reason. That's... You don't. You don't compete. look forty. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that quite often takes people by surprise. But I was twenty three when B was born, and, and there you go. I'll be, um, well, that plus eighteen when he's old enough to go to university, move out, or whatever he decides to do. Right. Yeah. So I've been living here for for the last four years, and. I think coming back round to iPhone developments, I've been professionally. I've been in an iOS developer now for the last five years. That's amazing. At the time, what did you do before that? So, from the age of nineteen, I, I worked as a well in a variety of different jobs for an energy company, um, mm-hmm. and I was doing a lot of data analysis. I, then I did um, customer insights. Um, so a lot of um, like data development jobs where I was sort of bringing information out of the systems that the company had and mm-hmm. bringing it together. Um, but ultimately, in the last few years in, the, in that career, um, I managed a small team. Um, we did customer insights, so we were pulling all this information together and figuring out like how, how these groups of customers behaved. Um, and the job was kind of consultative, so... I, I had to 
advise senior management and present the insights that we knew about our customers and about the business. Mm-hmm. So that that was my my prior to iOS career. Um, was, was many okay. years and, sort of and, thing. and what kinds of stacks did you use back then? Like I assume Python or something. Oh no, we weren't that modern. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so all the way from like basic data analysis with Excel and Access through to using um, SQL Server and then tools like SAS um, and uh, SAS, SAS Enterprise Guide um, and a whole bunch of other sort of smaller proprietary things that link together as well. Um, but a lot of my day-to-day was sort of writing manual SQL queries um, in a, in, oh, those were in a sequence. Days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I can still nice. read and kind of cut my way through SQL if I need to these days, you know. Yeah, it's, it's it it never really goes away, does it? Like I learned it in university, and then everything I do, like at one point I'm gonna write an, an SQL query, and now now recently with my recent project, um, I'm writing a lot of SQL again, and it's coming all back, and yeah. it's kind of amazing how powerful it really is. Depends on the on the database, really, but it's like, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. I know we're doing this kind of backwards, but I'm committed now. So, um, what made you switch from the data analysis stuff to the iOS stuff? That's a good question. So, I never meant to work for so long for an energy company. For a start, mm-hmm. that's actually quite opposed to my worldview and to my ethics and a lot of things but mm-hmm. the city that i lived in they were one of the best employers and i i landed a job at an early age and just kind of found myself there um right and then i always played with um with mixing live video this was a, a hobby and an interest that i'd had sort of since my early 20s uh before kids and um yeah so i used to be the guy with a laptop and um a couple of dvd players and a video mixer desperately Uh mixing video in real time in nightclubs when djs were playing oh you you were a vj yes yeah that is really really cool so like i remember from my my university days like the like that was kind of coming into into um play for all the parties and was like really really cool it was a lot of fun absolutely a lot of fun it's a good way for somebody who uh is actually quite introverted to be a part Mm -hmm. of a scene and a night out as well because you can sit on the stage with your computer and your mixer and get in the zone but you don't have to talk to people (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that makes that makes a lot of sense um um, so a, a good friend of mine got me into that sort of back in the day. And then that links to iOS because it meant I was doing this job that I was not necessarily enamored with sort of during the day. But then mm-hmm. I had this hobby that sometimes I was going out to go and perform and do these these things in nightclubs with. That then sort of tailed off. But ultimately, I got myself a Macintosh to to perform with i I had a a macbook pro um that was of a reasonable you know spec and everything else um around about 2008 2009 um that sort of era is is when i had that computer 
And then the iPhone came out. And right. I sort of looked, I was like, okay, well, I'm not really a, an iPhone person, am I? And then the 3G came out and I was like, yeah, that's quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the store comes out and the SDK. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I got this phone and um, the SDK had come out. And for a couple of years, I sort of dabbled with the idea of like, well, maybe I could make an app. It's like okay, yeah, maybe maybe I could make an app, and I, I picked up books, um, you know, like iOS for Dummies and things like that, um, like how to program iOS for Dummies sort of books, and I failed abysmally to learn anything for a few years. Like this is oh yeah, getting into Objective C is like super hard if you're not was. used to it. Yeah, and then think about the programming I was doing during the day. It's very linear. Right, SQL queries right. to bring data out of systems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking scripts that are working in right. a sequence. Nothing to do with user interfaces. No UI. You know, I would manually present everything myself in Excel and then clean it up in mm-hmm. PowerPoint. You know, there's no literally right. no interactive UI that I'm building. Um, nothing was object-orientated. It was a series of scripts pumping out data. I'm, I'm really good... At that point in life, I was really, really good at ETL. You know, all of that uh-huh. sort of extract, transform, right. load. So like getting getting dirty data and or like un like like data that's not really cleaned up and there's like, like yep. making presentable and yep. removing the the outliers, the errors, and stuff like that, and like all getting some usable usable data out of that. Yep, yep. So I could do all of that, and I'm mm-hmm. technically, you know, I'm there. I can do that, and I'm basically doing bits of programming, but and. I have done programming way back in the mm-hmm. past as well. I, I, I hacked on the Doom engine when I was about 17 and the source code was released. Ah, nice. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of what I would do with computers would come from that kind of hacker sort of mentality, although I never actually did any exploits or hacks or anything like that, but very much a sort of mm-hmm. DIY kind of just have a go. That's really cool. Like you can get really get into, into stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And And so... And then I had that mindset and I want, wanted to get into iPhone programming, but I kept sort of somehow kind of hitting a brick wall. And mm. I now know that it was very much down to a couple of things. And it was a case of I didn't have the right motivation, right? I didn't really know what I wanted to build. Um, mm. I didn't have the right learning material. Um, the books that I was using just didn't teach in a way that really worked for me. Oh, yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, and um, and I think those sort of things combined really meant that I just wasn't wasn't making any progress. So, and then twenty twelve something changed, and so I turned thirty in twenty twelve, and I think that was a bit of a catalyst because just after my birthday, I decided I was going to make an app that was going to let me mix video. Right, so about that, that time, I'm thinking this ah, is 20, now we're back to the VJing. Exactly, this is how it all links together. So awesome. this, this intrinsic motivation. Uh-huh. Um, and I realized that, uh, I think it was the 4 or the 4S had just come out. It's probably the 4, uh, let me work this out, um, 20, 2012. So the 4S was out and we were heading into the 5, I think, around about it then. sounds about right. Like 20, 2008, I think, was the first iPhone, right? Or yeah. 2007. 
the the thing I remember though is that we were recording video in HD by then, and that mm-hmm. that I was looking at that and going, oh, okay, there's this device it's playing back HD. All of the video clips I used to mix with a few years earlier on the MacBook were in lower resolutions. I bet I could actually mix on the phone. Um, and by this point, there was an iPad app that that did this, so I kind of knew that on the iPad 2 that that app was running reasonably well with low-resolution low video. So there was already a, comp- a competitor in the market, but nothing for the phone. And I thought, mm, yeah, maybe I could build something. And I got serious, and I, f- I found myself a, a book that I got on well with. Uh, that was the, the oh, big which one. one? Um, the Big Nerd Ranch oh, Guide. Oh, you, you were going to say Aaron Hillegas. Yeah. Because yeah, that yeah. was my entry. Awesome. Uh, That's like the, the best. That and whatever Erica Sadoon writes. Like, yes. Nice. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Like both of these, I had the very, I was very lucky to meet them at various conferences. And I was like, thank you for teaching me iPhone development. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, so, so Aaron did through, through the big nerd ranch guide, um, mm-hmm. it was one of my teachers, I guess. I, so around about this time, I've got the phone, I've got the MacBook, I've got, um, an iPad as well by this point as well. And, um, something snapped and I really wanted to build this thing. And mm-hmm. I, I, um, realized I needed to, to sort of learn and to dedicate myself to kind of being able to do, um, just the basics and that it was going to suck. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> this hasn't landed so far with me just messing around for the last couple of years. This is going to suck, but that's okay. Let's see what happens. And, I got the big nerd ranch guide, read through the sample on my iPad, and then went, yeah, I'm going to buy it, bought it, and committed to doing as much of it as I could, just cover to cover. And right. I got myself up in the morning at about between five and half five, um, and I would get up, I would get a cup of coffee, sit at the kitchen table with the iPad on the big nerd ranch guide, Xcode on my laptop... Yeah, my phone connected up to to run builds on, and taught myself using that guide. And it took about maybe six, seven weeks before things were sort of properly landed. You know, just wow. getting up, doing a bit, doing a bit every day, and then going to work, and then coming home, and then doing like the evening routine with my boys who were much younger back then, um, and then crashing out, and then starting the next day and doing the same thing again. Um, and that's, that's that's how I learned. That must have been an intense two months. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was like if my birthday was the end of October, this is how I can sort of time it as like it was just before Christmas at the end of that year that I kind of went, yeah, okay, I'm going to start playing with my own prototypes now. Um, awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, amazing. And that like as a parent and with a job as well, like that's... Yep. That's a lot of stuff on your plate, but yeah, sometimes like things just just like catch you, and you have to kind of do them. You have to, you feel like you have to hyper focus on them. Yes, yeah, definitely. And it's kind of funny because at that point, like I reached a point where I'd I felt like I was able to just keep going without using the book um, and to uh-huh. just explore things on my own after after that point in time. 
and then I stopped getting up quite so early as well and I started doing things in evenings or at the weekends like that was my mode for just nailing the the approach you know and getting enough knowledge to sort of be productive um but then once I got that I didn't necessarily need to put myself through that regime forever you know <laughs> it was a a lever to pull for that that bit in time um yeah so that sounds all well and good, but then I, I bit off more than I could chew with my first app. <laughs> As one is wont to do. How did that um what what did you want to chew? <laughs> so I, I wanted to mix video. Right. And at that point in time all of the PC and Mac based stuff were using um OpenGL shaders. So Oh yeah. Yeah, and then on the iPad you only had like OpenCL or something. No, not OpenCL, OpenGL ES. That's right. That's like right. some subset or something. Yeah, and that's okay. That's okay. I could take a a lightweight shader and, and port mm -hmm. it, and I found I could do that reasonably well, just by sort of converting some of the um, the the types and things that the variables were, um, mm -hmm. but. I convinced myself that I had to build my video mixer app using OpenGL and that I oh, shouldn't bother using Core Image because of all these different shaders out there. And I, if I built my engine using that, using OpenGL, then I could potentially leverage the community stuff out there as well. And this was going to be fantastic. <laughs> you can see that this is a bit of a rabbit hole, right? Yeah, I, I definitely can see. Like the thing is, in your position, I would have probably done the same because you're, you're thinking of all the possibilities. Yes. You're thinking, yeah, it's going to take more work, but the other thing is an unknown unknown, mm -hmm. and also imagine the possibilities. Exactly, exactly. So, and at this point, I don't know UIKit that well. I don't know Core mm -hmm. Data. I don't know even really know how to use user defaults. Right, I'm, I'm an absolute noob. <laughs> and um still finding my way with objective c as well so it took me about another 18 months of just making prototypes figuring out how the apis worked hacking stuff together and then eventually i started to have something that, that looked a bit like an app coming together um but it would be oh it, it would be about two and a half years before I really had a serious video mixing app. Just... Wow. Well, that is a long time. Like, mm. um, I'm not saying like you're slow or anything at the, at the, uh, at the, oh, contraire, that's the word I'm looking for. I'm saying like, it's very, very hard to keep focus on a single project yep. when you're not releasing it. And yes. so, so chapeau to you. Like, this is very impressive. It, it has to be said it was not all the time you know this was life kept getting in the way and i kept getting less serious about it and coming back but um yeah a lot of things happened otherwise i think at that point in time but i guess i'm trying to fast forward to what it looked like when i was actually bringing the app together and then going okay i've got oh, yeah, this thing and I'm describe gonna release it. it yeah so um essentially Early 2015, I had a, a working prototype. 
And it was like, yeah, okay, cool. This is going to be a real app. And I started to research, okay, what's it going to look like to put it into the app store? And by that point in time, I'd also kind of started listening to a lot of um, like entrepreneurship-based podcasts and that type of thing mm -hmm. as well. So I knew enough from sort of a lot of the online um, e-commerce and niche building websites kind of approaches of like, if you're putting something out into the world, you need to think about how you're going to launch it. So it a, I, I, I knew enough to be dangerous at that point as a developer, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, just in a sense of like, I didn't want to just put it in the app store and then hope people downloaded it. I knew that I didn't want to just do that. So um, as the app became closer to being released, um, I did what I needed to do to set it up for beta testing at that time. And at this point, test flight was sort of around, but there were other mechanisms like Fabric, for example. Right. Um, and you could release ad hoc builds through Fabric provision them for other people's devices and it was reasonably streamlined in how it worked um and the stats the stats for fabric in the early days were really really good um now it's all just part of firebase and and right but yeah. i i remember i never used them myself but i've seen it, seen it a lot back in the back in those days and yeah, it was like super impressive yeah yeah, and, and the, the onboarding experience of Fabric at that point was really good as well. So I, I turned that on. Mm -hmm. I had analytics, I had the distribution, and I got people from the community of video mixers like via Facebook, um, which was probably the best place at that point in time to get people. Mm -hmm. um, I, these days, I think it's a mixture of Reddit, to be honest, and, and bits of Facebook. Um, and I got TikTok. people to... Uh, maybe, maybe, but I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> I am actually using TikTok and it's like 50% horrible and 50% yep. delightful. <laughs> yeah, that, that's been my experience too. <laughs> um, but no, I, I got people to beta test and um, as well as that, I put together like a landing page, um, an email mailing list and... Um, started seeding social media about a couple of months in advance of sort of when oh, I thought I was going to release. Oh, you were getting serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, put together, a like I say, the landing page. I managed to build up this mailing list to... Um, I had just under 200 people signed up before I released. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, and I did a thing where I gave away some free video loops as well because people who do this stuff, they buy and download a lot of content um to mix with and i knew that if i put like a free video loop up or something i get people to sign up to the mailing list um so that was the thing i did like a a classic kind of lead magnet scenario where i, I, I put up a, a landing page if people signed up to the the mailing list then they got an automatic sign up mail that gave them the link to Very the, smart. the free content yeah um Really basic, um, like, you know, people could forward that link onto their friends and it would have worked, uh, but most people just signed up to get the thing. So, yeah, I, I launched and um, I'm trying to think, it's quite a while ago now, obviously, this is, this is going back six years ago now, but the main thing I remember from launching, I remember two things. Um, one is that Apple rejected the app straight away. 
<laughs> you were working on this thing two and a half years at that time, and then Apple was like, uh-uh. Yep, yep. Nope. No. Um, and their rejection what was, was so What was obscure. the reason? Yeah. Oh, my word. It, it was... Essentially, they, they said they needed to see a video of the app working. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's fine. Booted up the simulator, started recording my screen, went to upload that to a YouTube link that I could send them back. Um, and then, you know, brilliant, I've got this, easy. And then I thought, hang on a second, and I googled the text of the response that I got and found um, a couple of forum posts. And essentially what they really wanted is they wanted to see a video of you, of me, using the app on a device and in real time recording what it did. Okay? Yeah. So it dawned on me, hang on a second, the main thing of this app is that it does this mixed video and it throws it out to a video output like AirPlay or using the... Um, a VGA or right. HDMI connector. Um, and they can't test that on their side, right? I'm sort of imagining on on the review side, they've probably got a Mac set up and they're using something in a, a version of like the simulator. Mm-hmm. And they probably can't test it for things like external displays in the same way as like a normal user would. Right, and even if they have like a proper device for these kind of things, like like I, I imagine they have like five to ten minutes per app at exactly. most, and they, you don't want to connect all that stuff and like, oh no. yeah, we need a TV. Exactly. So, yeah, I I managed to probably save myself another rejection, <laughs> and recorded with my iPad myself using the the, the app with my television and Apple TV. Um. Mm-hmm. And explain to them in like very clear but short sort of bullet points. This is what it does. This is a video of me doing this. This is it connected, um, and it it went straight through the next review. So awesome, yeah. And and it was a whole load of lessons at the time in terms of like making sure that um, you put it on developer release rather than just being released automatically, and give yourself um, extra time to get through app store reviews so that you, your release date that you tell other people about is, is guaranteed, you know, like I waited until mm-hmm. I got that um, approval before formally putting out, it's going to be on this date to my mailing list. Um, right. I'm very glad I did that at the time. Um, Cause yeah, it was necessary. If I promised the date, it was going to be late. Um, so anyway, that meant yeah. I released it. I had a clear date. I released it on a, a Friday in the UK. Um, and I think over the next couple of weeks, I did about maybe a couple of hundred dollars worth of sales. Nice. Um, yeah. Which for a, it was a long route, you know, several years worth of <laughs> learning away. Yeah. I mean, like, but, I don't know about return on investment, oh, but no, no. it's like putting something out there and then people start downloading and buying it. That just feels good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think this is the thing, right, is what really happened is, is that I was building my new career. I was building mm-hmm. my new set of skills that were going to take me away from the job that I was bored with. Right. You know, if you put two and two together, yes, I like having apps in the store. Yes, I like releasing my own software. And yes, I do like the entrepreneurial side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but at that point in time, I did not have a business idea. I had an app idea. It was very different. You know, I had an app that some people might like to use, but it was not a business at that point at all. Um, but it was still worth going for because it got me out of the job that I was bored with um, and away from the company that did not match my own personal values. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was 2015. And then 2016, a year later, I, I jumped away to go freelancing. Mm-hmm. And that meant I could sort of table flip on the job that I was in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite. I was I was very good. I did a um, an advanced notice period and professionally worked my way out, but never mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. In your mind, you were just like... Yep, yep, yep. Pulling the, the escape chute. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, no, no, I just... What was it... Uh, Homer Simpson backing slowly into the bushes away. Come <laughs> oh, but no, I and then I, I freelanced and did a, a bunch of random things for a while after that. And and were they iOS things? Yeah, or just general programming things. So some general programming things, but um, ultimately I, I freelanced for a company called Swipe and Tap that were based in my hometown mm-hmm. in Leicester. Um, they were great. I did some really interesting um, projects in the short time that I was with them. Um, but ultimately, what had also happened at the same time is that we'd realised that uh, we, we did a holiday in New Zealand and we realised as a family, this is where we want to be. Um, and so I started interviewing and, and trying to get jobs over here. Uh-huh. Um, and... Yeah, long story short, I, I um, 2017, I accepted a, a permanent job in Wellington, New Zealand, programming iPhone yeah. apps. Awesome. Yeah. So it wasn't really, because I know you've moved to New Zealand like three or four, not five years ago. I don't know. Four years. No, now, three yeah. years ago, right? Uh, four. Okay. I know, I know you moved there, but... I imagine most people, when they move to the exact other side of the world, they have like a huge pressure that either either um, causes them to like, like uproot their lives mm-hmm. at the at the start where they start, or like something that really pulls them towards the destination. Yes. And I really love the fact that you were just, oh yeah, this is nice. I want to <laughs> be here because not quite, I get not that no. Oh no! I'm sorry, Daniel. There's, there's a whole other no? backstory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you want to <laughs> do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of what's what's the most interesting for the call. But yeah, okay. Uh-huh. So I mentioned that my my eldest is 15, and I found right. an email, an old email that I'd sent to my wife um, when he was about six months old. I've been researching mm-hmm. some things. Um, and I'd emailed her like on my, my lunch hour or something. Um, and essentially I'd broken down a list of countries that I thought might be cool for us to look at <laughs> such places we could go and live. Um, and topping that list out of this sort of like Venn diagram of potential places was New Zealand and Wellington in New Zealand. So, okay. So the idea was like there yeah. way earlier. Yeah, and the catalyst really was that um, I 
after becoming a dad at a young age, I sort of looked at where I was and thought, I'm not in the right place. This doesn't feel like where I wanted to stay. Right. Um, it took us a Oh, long... in 2017. Was that when a certain referendum took place? Uh, yeah, it was. It was. But the... the Oh. The, 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 at that point when we left, we'd been, I'd been thinking of coming to New Zealand for, um, well, crikey, about just over 10 years before that. Uh-huh. Um, so it had been a, this was another plan. Like sort of getting into iOS development happened, but there was also this other plan of like moving to New Zealand that was going on right. as well. Um, but I didn't know whether I would be moving to New Zealand and doing the same sort of data work that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't really predicted that it was going to be iPhone development that that would bring me here. Yeah. Strange how that goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find, like, what's what's a really nice difference between New Zealand and Great Britain? Uh it's, um, there's less people overall, so you feel less sort of hemmed in. And uh-huh. the generally the climate is like just a little bit warmer. It's a bit sunnier. Oh, that's nice. But the biggest thing for me, um, that the biggest thing for me is that we are always near to the sea. Like mm-hmm. even when you're inland in New Zealand, you're not that far to drive to the coast. Uh, because right. it's long and thin, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> long and thin and full of sheep. Yeah. And um, in the UK, we lived in um, a city called Leicester in England, and it's like three, three and a half hours to get to the coast. Right. I think I've been there. Yeah. And I've, I've been dying to ask you to spell it just because like, I <laughs> find that so absurd. These like Leicester and Wooster and Leicestershire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, oh yeah, there's just like 15 letters missing in there. <laughs> so Leicester is L E L E I C E S T E R. Yeah, Leicester, just how I would write it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so for locals in Leicester, they pronounce it as if it's just L E S T A. Leicester. Right. Yeah. Um, Leicester. Leicester. In it, mate. And is that. That is also close to the sea, right? No. No, it's really, no. really not. Oh. Really not. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> so you asked me what the the, uh, the main difference is, and for me it is right, being right. close to the sea. I think if you sort of take away the obvious, like, less people, slightly sunnier, um, mm-hmm. being near to the sea has been the biggest biggest difference for me personally. Um, and yeah, that's, I, can, I, I can see that. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, so did you have, uh, was it, was it hard? Like, I mean, on the one hand, on one hand, you probably leave behind various family and friends. On the other hand, you kind of have to make new friends, find an apartment or a place to live. Yeah. Um, you, you had the job that was, that was probably helpful. The job was really helpful and, um, it's quite a friendly company and quite a young company as well in a lot of ways. So it was pretty easy to sort of make make work friends if you like as well mm-hmm. um so that was good that gave me quite a bit of initial grounding right um but it was hard it was very hard for the first sort of six months to a year um in a lot of mm-hmm. ways because 
yeah, you've got the entire push of sort of getting yourself moved. And of course, we had the kids as well. And just setting up a new house. And as an immigrant, everything is is new and confusing and right. difficult and similar and confusing because it's similar all at the same time. <laughs> so it's really silly. Like, um, I, it took me maybe about three or four weeks before I sort of hit up Google and then realized I was actually experiencing um, culture shock in my first uh-huh. few weeks. And I sort of went through the symptoms and looked down the wiki page and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that resonates. Oh, okay, that's what this is. And then red light, okay. What are the symptoms? So, yeah, it, there's a... Um, the stuff that I remember now, and bear in mind, this is sort of blurred and is like a few years ago now for me. Um, but it's little things like how easy it is to get overwhelmed by seemingly mundane things. So a good example would be I would go to the shop and it's a supermarket and I need to go and get some, some of the family shopping in. And it would take me three times as long as I was used to in the UK because I didn't know any of the brands. I didn't know, you know, do we like this this particular type of food? Do we like this brand? Is this any good? Is that, you know, so you go around the shop and you're making all of these minute decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before you know it, you come out and you're like, whoa, that's taken me a long time. And I feel quite tired. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you, you have to remake all those decisions, whereas yeah. like with your home supermarket, you just know the brand. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then things like you go to somewhere different in the city, so you're traveling by Google Maps all the time because you literally don't mm-hmm. know where anything is. Um, yeah, you have no mental models. Mm-hmm. So things like that, and, and that was a, an awful lot of sort of the culture shock for me, was, mm-hmm. was having this sort of expectation of something normal being easy and then actually it's it's harder because you don't know what is normal um right but yeah what things like it took me probably a couple of months before i could remember exactly what day the bins were being collected you know that that (laughs) stupid little things um but it's also part of the fun and and there's an element of like you have to choose to sort of just get on with it and lean into it Mm-hmm. Um, because it's that or you go home, right? You go back. Um, right. And when you decide this is my home now, then yeah, yeah, you just got to do that. Like, Wikipedia says the four phases of culture shock are honeymoon, negotiation, mm-hmm. which is the hard part, yeah, and which may create anxiety, I'm quoting here, then adjustment and finally adaptation. And I went Individuals are able to participate fully and comfortable in the host culture. It is often referred to as the bicultural stage, which you said crikey earlier, so I'm pretty sure you're in the bicultural stage by now. <laughs> yeah, although that is an Englishism as well. Um, but it's, okay, uh, but I think I probably say it more after coming here. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so the first, the first few months to a year were varying waves of that interspersed with things being exciting because they were brand new as well you know like you um the first christmas here and it's like it's warm weather you know whereas in the uk it's cold and you have like a big cooked dinner and in new zealand that just doesn't make sense like Mm -hmm. you could make a big cooked dinner but like a proper roast 
turkey and everything else, but you wouldn't want to eat it. It's probably it's more so like hot. a winter thing, right? Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that first year was a lot of like the first time we did this, the first time we went there, the first time this, um, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, as well, I I was learning a lot in my job because um, that's that's where I was moving from sort of being intermediate as an iOS developer, I think, by that point, um, to sort of becoming more senior sort of fairly quickly over Mm -hmm. that first year. Um, Because as I remember it, what really sort of happened for me is that my, my previous career and my new iOS career kind of combined and oh because you did a lot of a lot of like data science stuff and then could uh, you fold that into iOS development it was actually the the working with senior leadership and um, oh, okay. the communication side of it right um, so so we had um we had a few clients in the company that I was working for we were an agency making apps for for other companies and we we had a quite a corporate client and I could really speak to them because they sounded just like the sort of company I was working for before. <laughs> and um, and I knew the sort of stuff that was driving them as a, as a client and what they were really interested in and what they were trying to get at. And that meant that I was able to sort of handle like requirements gathering and working through bits of the app with them Um and they weren't the easiest to work for at all. I mean, it was it was quite a difficult phase of, of work for everybody involved. Um, but something clicked for me, and um, I was less worried about, like, am I programming this in the right way? And more being comfortable enough in my own skills at that point to be able to then go, are we building the right thing? Is this what they really want? And then having those conversations and sort of leveling up as a as a intermediate senior developer, I think that was really happening then. Um, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, and and I think the thing I've learned with that really is that that's that's like a actually quite a typical thing for people that that sort of switch careers as mm-hmm. well as that if it's adjacent to where you can bring things in from your former career, then you can level up quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, so. And you you bring you bring a certain value to to your job that maybe other people can't because they don't have the outside experience too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's, that's a possibility too. Um, and it's funny because what happened, now what happened? Oh, sorry. No, go on. Go on. Um, I was going to ask what happened to the VJ app. <laughs> so the VJ app kept going and has continued to keep going sort of ever since. It still huh. sells a few copies every week, um, nothing too dramatic in terms of income. Um, but I lost a lot of time to be able to sort of develop it. And um, along the way as well, I put out a few other apps because why develop the app that you've just spent so long developing? I was bored with it in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, so I put, I put out a few other apps into the app store. So I have, um, I made an app for, Displaying. First, stop, hang on. So um, go on. Please tell me what the VJ app is actually called, please. That's probably a because good... Because A, I want to look at it, and B, yeah. our listeners, your listeners, yeah. want to know too. So the app is called GoVJ, um, and you can mm-hmm. uh, you can find it on gojapp.com. And yes, that's a it's good place G-O-V-J. to go. G-O-V-J, yeah. 
There we the go. App.com. Now. Cool. Yeah, and it and it it, and it looks reasonable cool. yeah. on the website. It looks really think. nice still. It looks very yeah. modern. Um, but I look at it and I know I know all the bits that don't work as well as I want them to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I that, know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to think of what is, is sort of relevant here to the the audience and. Well, what I'd like to know is what what other apps you've been working on. If you can't find anything relevant to, to say about Go VJ right now, yeah, Go VJ we can come back to um, because it is uh-huh, still okay. relevant. Um, but along the way, a couple of years ago, I put an app out into the store called AirSynth, and AirSynth mm-hmm. is a theremin that you can control with the oh, nice. um, the, the Face ID camera. So <laughs> that's really smart. Yeah, yeah, that was quite fun. Um, it's a bit of a, a gimmick app in a lot of ways because I, I put it out and you've got various different synths that you can choose from to make a noise with, but it's kind of limited in what you can really play and do with it. It, it's, um, it works, it does its thing, um, but I think really I would have been personally more proud of it if I linked it up to do um, MIDI control and that sort of thing as well. And oh, okay. I've just never taken it that that to that stage, um, but um, never say never. I think I might come back to it at some right. point. Um, and right now, it sounds like one of those apps that you pull out at a social gathering, and just um, everyone is like super impressed and very entertained for half an hour or an hour. Yeah, so that's kind of nice. Exactly. Yes, it's a good bit of fun. Um, and there was another one. There's, I've had a couple of other apps in the store as well. I did a, a sticker oh. app that didn't do very well at all um and that, that i learned a lot sticker exactly yeah yeah so i made an app that was um all about making your own custom stickers from photographs and um what i learned when the sticker app stuff happened or the iMessage app happened really is because it it's an iMessage app rather than just a pure mm-hmm. sticker app um they're impulse purchases, right? When people buy them, they, they they buy them on impulse and the time to get the customer to pay is in that moment, mm-hmm. right? And I misjudged it and I put my some of my functionality in the app behind an in-app purchase. And the reality is, is right. that um, users don't install a free iMessage app and then convert later on. That that, oh, yeah, that hasn't been implied. Yeah. Um so that 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 bombed. Um should have been paid up front. Mm-hmm. Um and then by the time I made it paid up front, the market had completely died. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Um and I had a hologram app as well called Holovid. Um you can find that on getholovid.com. Um, and that, um, with that app, you take a video, you run it through a filter to kind of drop some of the background and then it puts the video on four sides on the device and you can put it like a, a plastic prism on top of the phone or the iPad. Um, and you can see your projected video, um, as if it's a hologram on the sides of the prism. That is really cool. 
you get in the picture like by did that have any any success commercially um limited commercial success that there's probably been about 10 to 15 percent of whatever the vj app makes at most really i give that one a bit of a launch as well but it, it didn't have a niche it's like um every four or five months somebody posted something like tiktok about these little plastic prisms um and about how you can make them out of cd cases or bits of acetate or whatever um and they'll post to somewhere like tiktok vine wherever right over the years that people have posted these things and i see a small spike of of sales um that sort of relates to this kind of social wave every so often um but um yeah that that's been a bit of fun i've not updated that one recently at all um but i may may come back to it and i think this is probably a, a good part where i can kind of explain to you what i've been up to in the last year Oh, yes, please. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've been trying to lead up to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, in the process of going full-time, I lost a lot of momentum for, for doing apps on the side. And um, then last year I was concussed. I had an injury um, and I was unable to really do anything too much for a while. Right. And obviously I've recovered from that since. And... At the beginning of this year, I, I sort of had that whole moment of like, okay, I think I've, I want to work on some of my own stuff again. And mm-hmm. um, so I've got several apps in store, not selling that greatly. I should probably kill some of them off. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of my babies. Just so you don't have to maintain them anymore. Yeah. Um, but they're all related in terms of they play with video. Right, that seems to be the streak that sort of runs through what I do. Um, and so I took the approach for the video mixing app and completely rebuilt the engine. This time using Core Image, this time using Metal, this time not making the, the rabbit hole mistake that I made with, with OpenGL. Um, <laughs> partly because Apple had deprecated OpenGL, but also because I'd learnt my lesson. Uh, and um i i pulled this this framework together essentially and started laying it out for the video mixing app and along the way ended up realizing okay i've got this 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 framework i can drop this into any of the apps that i've got so all of this video stuff that i'm doing it's like boom in there yeah and um so that's the approach I'm taking now, is that this this framework is powering the rebuild for the VJ app. That's cool. So Go VJ2 will be a thing. Oh. Um, nice. Yeah, and I think that's cool because the original code base is like six years old now. So <laughs> it was probably time. Yeah, and you have learned so much. Yes. Like, I would probably advise against most rewrites, but if you have some, have something that's been successful and... Um, you've learned a lot since creating it and then you want to like put it onto new architecture and you have a prototype that works then it can be just insanely satisfying yes yeah definitely and i think in this case this is like this is beyond just the change of architecture or some aesthetics this is 
the old code base was Objective C with storyboards and a mess, an absolute mess of everything in the app delegate. Um, and the new code base that I'm pulling together, the the video stuff is abstracted to this framework, and then the app itself is a, a Swift UI base um, that is talking right. very nicely to to everything else, and 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 has all of the benefit of the learning I've done in the last few years about architecture and everything from, from working professionally in iOS, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. Uh-huh. Um, I've, I've now got an approach for, for Swift UI development that I've built in the last year. Um, that means that I can sort of start laying out these apps reasonably quickly, like not, um, it's not as if I'm pumping out. You, you mentioned some of this, like you, um, you prefer very much like a view model based approach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to, do you want to get a little bit technical and like, um, oh, like we could tell do. us like how, how you want to, how you, you approach these kind of things? Yeah. So it's probably worth calling out in my, in my day job that I'm currently doing um, since the start of this year, I've been leading a team um, mostly made up of interns and juniors or people with limited iOS experience. Um, I've been leading this team and we are supporting and developing uh, four apps now for the company that I I work at. Um, Two of which have been developed in the last few months. And what I did is, I, with the new apps, we were able to to go after um, Swift UI because we didn't have to target backwards in terms of iOS versions. And what I did is, I, I said, okay, if we're going to do this, then I want to have an architecture that lets us really achieve what we want to achieve as a business. And because of the need to support quite a young base of knowledge, that architecture's requirements meant as a business, we needed it to be testable. So it had to be abstracted enough to let us do nice and neat dependency injection and that sort of thing um, so that we can write automated unit tests for the for the core code um, so that it's easy to write UI tests as well. Um, right. But the other requirement is it had to be understandable. It couldn't be some esoteric architecture that spent meant that somebody needed to spend three weeks of their life before they could even make Hello World. You know, <laughs> some of <laughs> yeah, the, I know the type. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I I I laid out an approach, and um, there's a few similar similar approaches. There are, there's an approach called the coordinator pattern that is really really close to the pattern that I've defined that I've called a router pattern and the the big deal to this approach is that you there is every every view has a view model and then there are essentially special views called routers who have a a, a, their own the view model of of those views which is the router itself so you have a router and a router Mm -hmm. view um and the, the router itself, its job is to do the dependency injection into the view models that the views have. So right. when, a, when a view is cre- created, um, the, the router is called, it instantiates that view and gives it the dependencies that are global to the app. Um, 
And also, that also means that you're not using the environment objects, no. I assume. Exactly. Okay. Not using the environment objects. Um, any persistence of state is happening from, from global objects that are in, in memory that are then given to the view models. Um, mm -hmm. Or data is persisted to whatever the local store is and then retrieved by mm -hmm. the view models via those those dependencies and managers. Yeah, that makes it way easier to um, to test these, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah, it has done, and and the proof is in the pudding. Actually, we um, we we had a, a one of these brand new apps. Um, I started it off with this approach, and every step of the way, every single uh, screen, um, has an associated view model. That view model has tests for every single uh, public function that hangs off of it. Um, and then every dependency also has tests built around it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have an approach for UI testing as well, which means that we test, um, we make tests to go and navigate to each screen and test the, the flows in and out of that screen mm -hmm. as well. Um, so anyway, this is a, a minimal architecture, but it's one that lets us have enough of these type of things. And it means I can teach people this architecture reasonably quick. But That's really cool. Um, can is there like a web website or blog where people can read more about that? Yeah, I've got a blog post up on uh, my website, uh, davidgarrywood.com. Awesome. So, yeah, I can. Cool. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. Remembering awesome. this is my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You have that power. Yeah. Um, and so, are you using that router pattern in your um, in your private apps as well, like in the rewrite of um, GoVJ? Yes. Yes, I am. And what I cool. found, yeah, and, and I think this is a case of like, I'm using that pattern during the working day. And then when I hack on these things in the evening or weekends, I'm kind of already in that mode. So I didn't want to start using something different that was going to take me out of that flow. Oh, yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, but, but, but the other thing is, is that as a solo dev, it means I'm sort of sitting there and going, do I really want to do all these tests? Like, yeah, and the reality is, is so far, I'm kind of not. <laughs> so, on my, I was on... just gonna ask yeah. because this is something that I also also realized that when I work on something alone, um, and I do spend a lot of time writing tests, and my problem is that it seems like my kind of development is very like sketching based. Like I start with mm -hmm. this. Solution that is pro probably not very ideal, and then like change the APIs, change the data structures. As like whenever I I realize, oh yeah, th this doesn't really fit my need, and then I kind of converge on a hopefully good solution. But that yep. means every time, every time I'm like, oh yeah, I think I need another field, or oh I need to change this behavior or this structure. Like all my tests break because it's not about like one thing that changes, but like the whole structure changes. Yeah, I've been having mixed results like <laughs> with with tests. It's a funny thing. So I I would say for what I'm building. I should, mm -hmm. once I have finished GoVJ2, I should build some testing around the framework because I plan mm -hmm. on sharing that with my other apps. And then if I right. adapt it for those apps, then I need to ensure that I've not created a problem for previous apps. So That does make sense. Yeah, I'm going to have to have to put some automated testing around that. 
But then in terms of the screens of the app and the flow through the screens of the app and the movement through what I'm building there, there's a big difference. The apps that I'm tending to make for this sort of stuff are quite often like single screen apps or it's a screen with a sheet where you go and do some stuff on the sheet and then you come back to the main main like dashboard. So they're not really involved flows. They're also not sending data to APIs. They're local. So all the data is local to, to the app on the device. That makes things a lot easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm driving at is that after a point, there's some diminishing returns to testing every single thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a professional environment that I'm in, in my day job, there are a lot of returns on doing that level of testing because... As I mentioned, we've got a variety of different levels of experience on the projects, but also when we move people between the development teams, uh, these tests provide a level of assurance as to what was intended when the last people were right. on that project. So the tests are actually providing a level of communication to the other developers as well. And we write them in such a way where they are pretty simple, they're pretty self-explanatory, like the goal is to get test unit tests down to being sort of three lines of code pretty much for each single individual oh, thing. Nice. Yeah. But um, they're already paying back dividends because we, we have had one or two regressions caught from this testing apparatus. Um, so it's a different it environment, good, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think that's the thing is that for solo devs, for indie devs, you need to be um, quite, practical in terms of what you're automating for your testing like right now my testing is i have a list of things and before each release i go through these things and see if they still work (laughs) by hand yeah um and every time something breaks that is not on that list i add it to the list it's like um 12 to 15 items right now yeah and i know that i want very much to automate these things at some point but right now, things are just, like, too malleable. They change too much. Yep. So I don't think I've reached that point yet, even though I can feel that it's coming. That's it. And I, th- I think for your um, for your world, I probably look at that and go, well, okay, what is that milestone that, that sort of locks this in? Like, what does that look it like? It might be version 1.0. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then... Which is, which is coming. So that's... that's um, that's probably a good way to look at it is, is you could look at that and go, okay, we will get this to what we think is, is 1.0. And then around about the time where you think you've got your gold master, as it were, mm-hmm. I would suggest that's the time to take one or two of the things that are on that list and go, okay, wh- what does it look like to, to automate testing this? I'm not saying you should refactor your code just before you release, right? <laughs> no. Not at all. No. Um, but oh, what I, I thought that would be a good strategy. Nah, that's a, that's a strategy to never <laughs> release. Um, but take a critical look at your um, code base at that point and figure out what it would take to do that, that testing because that should inform mm. 1.1, 1.2, where you're in that phase right. of kind of improve mode. Um, you know, you've released, you'll have some feedback, you'll have some bug reports, and then some of the, the some of your findings from what it would take to automate the testing of that critical thing 
can probably be rolled into that phase of development where you're, where you're, where you're thinking about improving rather than releasing for, for features. Right. Um, um, there's this, um, there's this guy, Andy Singleton, which is a really cool name for someone who works in tech. Yeah. And he wrote a book about testing and, um, I think project management as well. I've, it's been a while, but I've, I, I remember being very impressed by this book. Um, and he had in this thing a pyramid, like, like you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. He had a hierarchy of testing. And the the most important base layer of this pyramid, it wasn't even testing, it was error reporting. So yep. like just whenever something crashes, you should be able to know about this. And this is what I have. And then the next level is manual testing. This is also what I have. And yep. then the next level is, I think, integration testing, which is like, don't worry about the individual components. Just try, like, just like try to be able to poke the whole system and see if something breaks. Yep. And I think that's going to be my next goal. I'm just going to use the included automation testing tools in, in Xcode. Mm-hmm. And like really actually create a new account then create some insights in there and whatever and then delete those delete the account and this will happen on the server or maybe on the maybe on the staging server or whatever so it will it will hit the servers it will hit the api it will hit the the local app um it's probably not very efficient but that's going to be my first step i think in automating these and then further up the pyramid comes like individual like um component testing and unit testing Yep. Um, and those are going to be interesting as well. But the advantage I have with this is it forces me to make my app accessible at least a little bit, yep. which is something um, my app displays a lot of graphs. And I've been very much struggling with representing these graphs in an accessible way to screen readers. And um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to get better on that part because it's kind of atrocious right now. Um, but like automated testing also forces me to make the app more accessible because the automated tested to testing tools that Apple provides you, they give you a lot of, um, or they use a lot of the accessibility stuff as well. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah, that's my, that's my goal. And the other thing is once we hit 1.0, I want to have release train branches or something where I say like, okay, this is going to be version 1.1 and this branch for version 1.1 only gets bug fixes from now yep. because i know my chaotic development style and i need to <laughs> like protect myself from it and my customers that's fair that's fair and that, that sounds like a really good way to go about it um i right. like i do like the idea of um, going after integration testing before getting down to sort of atomic units or specific component testing um i think that's that's probably a good call because the value there is that you're trying to get rid of your time that it takes for you to to sit there and manually t- check these things off. Right. Um, so that that's sort of feels like it will pay you back reasonably quickly um, to sort of set that up. I, I yeah, really hope so. Yeah, I can see that working quite well. And of course, that means you can test the whole stack rather than just the app as well because the app yeah. is is the app is a window onto the rest of your stack exactly and we will have a web app to it um, a very soon point in the future i think and 
So like testing the server. The server actually does have unit tests. Not many, but like for the most important functions, which is kind of nice. That's cool. Um, but I want to go back to the framework you're using for GoVJ and that new app. And um, okay, you can decide which way it's going. Do you want to get technical because I have questions about the framework and how you develop the, your framework? Or do you want to get product specific and tell me about the cool new app you've been working on? <laughs> or both, I guess. Um, let's talk quickly about the new app and then we can go uh -huh. technical, I reckon just to be slightly awkward. Okay. Tell me the name first, because um, okay. whenever I hear people on a podcast talking about a new app, they talk for 10 minutes, and I'm like, oh, but what is it called? Like, what okay. do I have to enter into my Google? Okay, so um, the new new app is Pixelvid. Uh -huh. um, that is P-I-X-E-L-Vid. Um, so vid videos made from pixels, basically. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this show will have come across the idea of pixel art, anything that looks like sort of right. it came out of the late 80s, early 90s, that right. sort of era of consoles. And these days, pixel art is a whole sort of aesthetic. You know, people make mm. pictures and draw pictures all pixely to try and sort of evoke that kind of old school sort of vibe. Um, mm -hmm. which I find fascinating and also slightly surreal because I remember this stuff the first time round. Okay. Yeah. But I thought, oh, hang on a second. I've got this video mixing engine. How hard would it be to just set that up with some filters that pixelize anything? Mm -hmm. And how, could I set it with a, a range of palettes and um, other things to sort of evoke some of these aesthetics? And... There's two answers to that question. One is, yes, of course you can. <laughs> the other is, you are now taking a detour from your VJ app and you're making a whole other app. <laughs> um, so I thought, yeah, why, why not build two? Um, and so this is kind of where the, the, the whole having a framework thing became a thing in the first place. Like I was mm -hmm. building out a framework in a prototype app for GoVJ Um and then I decided I wanted to play with Pixelvid, and so I very quickly pulled everything over into a um, a separate project um, that literally just makes a library. So it makes an XC framework that, that right. does all of the video mixing stuff, and both apps talk to that same framework. So that's kind of veering off the project and back into the technical there, but but that's, yeah. that, that's well. what's happened. Um, yeah. So both apps are using this approach for SwiftUI, the, the router pattern, mm -hmm. and both apps are using the, the video mixing framework that I've got. Um, for Pixelvid, of course, it's not mixing two videos together. So it's just using this video engine. It's making one layer. Um, it's not mixing it with anything else. And then... And, and is Pixelvid available yet, or is it in, in the future? Pixelvid is also in the future. So... I, okay. I'm very, very close to releasing it. Um, mm -hmm. However, for a couple of reasons, I've gone back to GoVJ because the original app is not working so well on iOS 15. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, all right. I was going to release Pixelvid and then go back to, to GoVJ. Um, mm -hmm. But I've actually 
pause pixel vid while I try and rescue GoVJ. This is what's going on at the moment. Oh, yeah, the, the pleasures of having multiple apps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is the thing. And um, anyway, PixelVid will be released in the next few months. Um, I mm-hmm. can't put a hard date on it now because it has. I have to get GoVJ2 out first. Right. Um, so GoVJ2 I'm planning on having out probably very early next year. Um, and certainly, certainly in test flight before Christmas. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you have this very organized style of developing and releasing apps. Like I feel I feel like chaotic neutral compared to your style right now. <laughs> it's fits and starts. So what happens with my own apps is closer to what you're describing, which is I'll I'll go mm-hmm. down a route. Um but then what I'm finding is that because I've laid them out with this this design pattern, with the router pattern, with my MVVM approach. Every so often I get myself into trouble and I'm trying to route data in a way that doesn't really fit. And I'll work around it, I'll I'll build stuff up, and then I look at what I've built and I go, oh, that's a bit of a mess. Uh, (laughs) But no, so I I build things up and, you know, you you take that look and you go, that's that's a mess, actually. Mm. It's working, but it's not working that great. And then I'll refactor down, and usually the refactor is where I rediscover the pattern that I should have used in the first place, which is the pattern I was oh, trying yeah, to Oh, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. So although it it looks structured after the fact or sounds structured when it's explained and mm. the process development process meanders, um, and then I bring it back round to to where it should be and usually i'm kicking myself right because by the time i've done that i I go oh yeah actually of course this thing needs to be over there and this needs to connect from there why did i build this 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 completely awful other way and then sometimes it gets to a stage where it's a case of well that's working i know what the refactor needs to be but actually i need to just move on oh yeah yeah you know and i'll leave myself some some notes and i'll I'll leave a, a to do or whatever um but right. uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, a lot of it just depends. It depends on like how important it is for me to have this one particular area perfect versus this is my list of things to release and I need to just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and for solo stuff, that line gets quite blurry quite quite easily. Um, right. Whereas obviously in my my professional job that line's a bit harder um, um no what what i actually like i can totally see that and i think i have these these like iterations as well where i just write something and there's like like a messy but then you kind of clean it up and discover the patterns yes what's different i think is that you work two and a half years on an app before you think about releasing it where i'm like oh yeah <laughs> i just wrote this code seven seconds ago let's put it on test flight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, 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 th- I think I'm a uh, bit more slow about like releasing, releasing, but like test flight is like, whatever. Yeah, um, you've got me there. I really do need to be releasing a bit more, more often. I think. Uh, <laughs> well, so, so perhaps this is a pledge. Maybe I need to be, uh, be making sure I've got one project or the other in test flight sooner rather than later. Well, maybe, maybe, and, and maybe I need to slow a. L- little bit down um okay so you have go vj2 in the pipeline yep 
you have pixel vid coming out soon yep what what else are is there anything else you're working on or that your future will bring oh so when i moved to new zealand my app stayed in the uk and they stayed under my uk limited company that i created way back when that i called for some unknown reason i called it robo heads um, and it was right. spelt spelt with a z because i couldn't get the proper domain name and also um, it's cool in a very 2000-ish yeah. way exactly yeah yeah um <laughs> it represents a point in time and I've, i'm now in a position where i can bring my apps from my uk account to a new zealand developer account and i can mm -hmm. kill the uk company off so I'm rebranding, and I've not really mentioned this anywhere else before Ooh. yet. Exclusive uh, reveal. Exclusive reveal, but I'm rebranding to Lightbeam Apps. I um, love that name. Thank you. It took, took quite a bit of time to find something I was happy with, but because everything I do is kind of based around video when I'm working on my own stuff, it, I kind of wanted something that was video adjacent. Right. And... <laughs> Um, the, uh, project title or, or the, the, the name for the video framework that I've got is, is I've called it Photon. Um, Ooh, lovely. So, yeah. Way that, better than Electron. That means something for me. Right. Um, but then I realized I couldn't call my company photo, something around photons because it would require a lot of explanation. Whereas right. Lightbeam is, is relatively obvious. So, um, yep, Lightbeam apps. So that I'll be launching Lightbeam apps properly with whichever one of these apps is first. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully before the end of the year, Lightbeam apps will be launched and everything will be under that brand that I do personally on the side. Um, and then in terms of future applications and that side of things, I've got a whole bunch of projects that can leverage this framework, but it's going to come down to free time and which i think is going to be the most viable because although i want to make my my, my update to my vj app and the pixel pixel vid is nice and fun um i don't think either of these are really going to make me lots and lots of money or do a reasonable return on my time um so they're a labor of love at the moment and and i'm honest about that that's that is what which they is are. completely fine yeah yeah, for sure. And and they, they improve what I do in my day job as well because you learn bits that then come back and all of that. Right. But um so I think whatever comes after these is gonna leverage this framework, but perhaps in a way that lets me build something that's a bit bigger. And that's probably a, a plan for sort of middle to, to the end of twenty twenty two. Um Awesome. Yeah. So That looks very nice. Um yeah, by the way, um hit me up if you want free analytics. Like you get you could you just get a free account. <laughs> awesome. I'll definitely um, be hitting you up for that. Awesome. Um David, Gary Wood or David Wood, where yep. can people find you online? So you can find me at davidgarrywood.com. Um everything I do is there. Um and you can find me mostly on Twitter with the same handle, mm -hmm. David Gary Wood. Also, in a few months, probably, maybe, I reckon, by the end of November, 
there should be a proper website up on lightbeamapps.com. Awesome. And you have a podcast as well, which yeah, you've yeah, been little... very gracious to allow me to host today. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Uh, that's been much appreciated. Thank you. This has been amazing and awesome and very, very fun. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, I think that's it. That's a wrap. This dude. has been this has been amazing and fun, and I wish you all the best with uh, Lightbeam apps. And I'm hoping to speak to you soon. Thank you, Daniel.